Hello and welcome to episode 82 of The Thing About Golf, Golf Australia Magazine's ongoing search for answers to that eternal question, what is it about golf that so gets under people's skin? My name's Rod Murray and what a special treat it is to welcome in the new year with an interview that we've been trying to organise for the best part of three years. Just before COVID struck, Peter Thompson's son, Andrew, had helped arrange everything but the date for us to sit down for a chat with his mum, Mary. Unfortunately, those plans, like so many others, fell by the wayside as the pandemic took hold. But with the return of the Australian Open to Melbourne a month ago, the opportunity once again presented, and it was one that we grabbed with both hands. Peter Thompson may be one of the game's best-known figures, but we know precious little about his wife of 58 years, Mary. And that's no accident, because while Peter was busy fulfilling the duties that come with winning five Open Championships, Mary was more than happy to remain behind the scenes, keeping things on track at home. Dignified, thoughtful, eloquent and intelligent, it's not hard to see what drew Peter to Mary all those years ago. And in the same vein, her deep affection for Peter remains obvious to this day. Now, just before we start, I must say a special thanks to Andrew Thompson for facilitating this interview. And as you'll hear, he also gets to make a bit of a contribution to the discussion along the way. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this chat with Mary Thompson. Well, the first thing we have to say, Mary Thompson, is thank you. We know the thing about golf is a commitment of time and energy, and we appreciate you taking the time to do that. To my eternal shame, I know almost nothing about you, Mary. We all know Peter, of course, uh-huh. but I guess you've probably become in some ways Peter's wife or wife of Peter for a good I, portion of your life. I think uh, that's exactly right, yeah. and uh, I was very happy to be that, and uh, since uh, Peter has died, um, you know, I've uh, just led a very quiet life, I suppose. Very different from when he was alive. Four and a half years, Mary. Yes, four it and seems half like years. both yesterday and forever ago, doesn't yes, it? It's a strange. It does. It does. Such a such yeah. an enormous thing. What was life like with Peter? I wonder. He was such an eloquent and articulate speaker and writer on the game, and we, the golfing public, those of us with an interest in the game, had so much respect. I often wonder for people like that, did he rant and rave at home to get it all out so that he could be calm and articulate <laughs> in public? Did you see the same Peter we did? Oh, I, uh, yes, I certainly did because he was never a ranter or a raver and uh, he was a very humble person, really. He never talked about himself or one day I said to him, you know, you're so laid back, I really don't think you're very competitive at all. And he said... You're joking. I would be the most competitive person you've ever met. Uh, and I said, well, you never show it really. And he didn't show it at home either. He was just dad and, oh, my husband, dad to the children. And, uh, that was that. It's quite a neat trick to pull off if you're Peter Thompson in some ways, is it not? It was perfectly natural for him. He, this was what he was. And, uh, when he was home and relaxing, he loved to read and uh, he was very intelligent, which um, was perhaps different to a lot of players, but um, he loved to read and he loved uh, ju- not just novels, but he loved to read history and biographies and things like that, as you will see from our 
book shop. Yeah, a, a broad thinker beyond yeah, just golf, which I think perhaps Absolutely. brings a measure of something extra to golf, doesn't it? Yes. The best writings tend exactly. to come from people whose interests are broader than just golf, including we've got Andrew Peter's son with us here as well, who may chime in. He's got a microphone, but he's going to try to stay quite quiet. But well, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take number two position in the interview. <laughs> you can be the you can be the co-captain <laughs> in all of this, Mary. For those of you who don't know. Where did you meet Peter? Tell us a little bit about sort of the early life. Uh, well, I met him. Um, he was still married, actually, uh, to his first wife. And I met him at the Melbourne Town Hall and was taken there to um, by Tom Crow, who uh, was both a friend of mine and a friend of Peter's. and Founder of Cobra Golf for those. Yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. Uh, and he uh, it was before Cobra began, of course, and it was after his third Open Championship and they were giving him a civic reception, the city of Melbourne. So uh, I went along and uh, didn't really think much about him, but I, I did um, see quite a bit of him with uh, during the Olympics when he was often at the same house that Tom used to take me to. So um, got to know him a little bit, but not very well, really. A civic reception. We see this week, we're recording this the week of the Australian Open. Cam Smith just won the Australian PGA. And we yeah. saw yesterday on day one of the Open crowds like we have not seen at the Australian Open for Some a very long time. I Cam's know. Cam's won one Open. Was it similar for Peter after three opens or was it a less big a, a deal? Was he a big celebrity, Peter? I, I wasn't obviously around at the time, but what was that like? Well, he played He played with Kel Nagel Canada Cup mm -hmm. and uh, that was Royal Melbourne and really he they did draw tremendous crowds then and there was always it was always crowded when he played, it seemed to me, anyhow. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. Celebrities are a very different thing in the modern era to then. Yes. Perhaps, perhaps might be more difficult to maintain the sort of dignity that Peter did for his mm. whole career in this modern era. What do you think the key was to that for him? A lot of people would hear Peter speak and assume he came from a certain part of Australia or a certain socioeconomic thing, but they're not quite right. He not, wasn't from a an upper class. He's quite humble backgrounds, Peter. Yes, he? he did. He yeah. had humble backgrounds and uh, I think his parents were a bit shattered when he took up golf. They, he was studying to be um, uh, a, an industrial chemist. chemist that's right. And uh, they sort of couldn't understand quite uh, that he – would do well in golf and they were a bit worried about the whole thing. But uh, he, anyhow, he did what he did. He did have some help, admittedly, from people who could see what potential he had. Uh, and um, he actually spent his early days at Victoria Golf Club. He was a member there. And uh, that was when he turned professional. Mm. Mm. An industrial chemist is no small undertaking either. An impossible question to answer, but you might get the point of it. Could Peter have been happy being an industrial chemist his whole life, do you think? Probably, yes, I think. He uh, he was that sort of person. It's intriguing, isn't it, to think that yeah. you couldn't find two more disparate yeah. potential outcomes yeah. and completely comfortable in both. Yes, and always happy in his own company because he had books to read. And uh, and right, of course, and right. as well. Well, he did. Yes, he wrote actually very well. Yes, I've got a lot of uh, his writing, and of course, I've got all the letters that we ever wrote to each other. 
So one day quite I'm sure something. they'll be available, but not, not just yet. <laughs> I'm sure I've just been through them. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. What drew you to Peter, Mary? Was it the celebrity? Did you have oh, a golf no. background? Did you know anything no. about golf? Did you play no. golf? Do you play no. golf now? What drew you to Peter? I really don't know. I suppose we just became friends, and uh, and then eventually fell in love. Mm. So. There we are. I'm going to ask you a question here, Andrew. Is your mum intellectual like your dad was? Do you think that's – is that perhaps part of – do you recall family dinners or family discussions about deeper subjects than just are we having chops or steak? Oh, <laughs> no. Mum, mum would hold her own in any mm. discussion at the dinner table about uh, history or politics or whatever was going on in life at the time. Um one story that uh, she may be moved to tell, which I, I found very entertaining, was uh, 1958 uh, at Lytham when uh, uh, she was there uh, watching, uh, but she was not known yet as uh, Dad's um, uh, girlfriend. Oh, yes, he, he'd I been was. separated. and uh, This is what we want, a bit of disagreement, Mary. <laughs> this is what we came for, and, good stuff. Uh, and then... Uh, not just what happened at the <clears throat> in the stadium with Tom Crow, but the the lunch uh, during the playoff. You might care to oh yes go back to the I start. Feel there's a story here, Mary. What's, <laughs> what's Andrew trying to get at without telling us? There? Well, I'm not sure, but uh, the the story really is that uh, he drew uh, with uh, um, Dave David Thomas. Thomas, who is a friend. Uh, they they finished with the same score, so there had to be in those days. Uh, there was no sudden death. It was 36-hole playoff. And um, they played the first round in the following morning and then the four of us re retired to the dining room in the hotel where we were staying and uh, we had lunch together. <laughs> the two combatants yes. and their, their respective yes, partners. Yes, and uh, so they um, uh, that was fine, but the press were kept out of the dining room. They were at the doors of the dining room watching the whole performance, but uh, they were not allowed in, fortunately. But in those days, this is, I mean, this was Peter and this was David. They were friends. And then um, after the uh, after lunch, uh, we went back to the course and Peter actually beat him. And then, uh, then of course, the press were onto the fact that I was the girlfriend and watching the whole me watching him. And uh, Tom was very helpful, putting his arm around me in the grandstand, little grandstand. And um, after the presentation, uh, Peter decided he'd meet us in the car and he sort of jumped into the back of a, an electrician's truck with the uh, with the trophy, with the claret jug <laughs> under his arm and met us down the road. So we avoided the press, which was good. An early taste of the celebrity lifestyle, yeah, the paparazzi exactly. even yeah. even back in yes. those times. Did you enjoy all of that? I'm sure at the time there's a an annoyance about it, but it's a bit exciting too, isn't it? A bit of fun. Uh, not, I didn't really enjoy that part uh, and uh, – you know, I was happy to sort of um, just stay out of the limelight. Uh, once we were married, you had to sort of accept it, whatever it was. I mean, we had to go straight from our 
wedding, uh, a marriage straight to a tournament and delay the honeymoon until the following week. <laughs> until the four rounds yeah, have been completed yes, and all exactly, scores have been, exactly. had been assessed. So golf came first. What about the Italian Open and Lake Como? Oh, yes. Well, we... Uh, You're a dental nurse in London. I was, yes. But I was travelling at that stage with um, some girlfriends in Europe. What sort of... What, what years are we talking about? Oh, we're talking about uh, 50... Nine, I think. And um, so he sent me a telegram to say that he was uh, coming over to play in the in the, uh, the Italian Open. That's extraordinarily exotic, isn't it, in 1959 to travel from yeah. Australia to the Italian Open at Lake Como and oh. invite somebody from London to join you? Yeah. Well, anyhow, I was over there, so I went along and meet, met him at uh, Villa Dest with one little cotton dress. <laughs> so he had to take me down to the local village to <laughs> get me something decent to wear. Uh, all the ladies were dripping with diamonds in those days at Villa Dest. And uh, then he went ahead and won the Open. So I went back to my girlfriends and he went home. I presume I can't remember much. 1959, I feel like at the moment we're in a time of quite extreme social upheaval. It can always feel like that if you go looking for it, but it does feel like the world is shifting in some really big ways. 1959 would have been a somewhat not dissimilar sort of feel heading into the 1960s and what was to come after that. Mm. What was that? Being in golf, which was very old world at the time, it's been dragged a bit into the new world now, I guess, but what was it like to be a part of that around that time? Was it, I imagine it would have been interesting. It was interesting and there were some interesting people there. Henry Cotton was still playing and, uh, you know, he was a fine English golfer, of course, and uh, and Peter's best friend, Kel Nagel, uh, he won the British Open in, in 1960, mm -hmm. and um, that was very exciting for us. Peter was Peter was so mm -hmm. into Kill, really. A very genuine Just affection for Very Kill, genuine yeah. affection, and which lasted right up until Kill died. We used to go fly up to Sydney to see him when he was uh, ill at the end. And, um, no, he, he, took, he said to Kill, this is your year. I think you can win this at St Andrews. Yeah. So he sort of took him around the course a couple of times. I mean, Kel was a fantastic player, but um, Peter knew St Andrews very well and he helped uh, Kel with the various holes. And then we sat back and watched and, well, we didn't. He played, of course, but uh, um, no, I can remember sitting on the edge of the 18th green and uh, oh, Peter! There was the one time I ever saw Peter in tears. Oh. He he had tears running down his face. He was so happy that Kel had won. But two questions. So I'm going to ask this one on a side note very quickly first. Uh, my feeling has always been that Kel might be the nicest person I ever met, and possibly the nicest person in the world. Yes, yes. He'd be in the top three, wouldn't he? Oh, any conversation absolutely. the whole. Yes. Right. Am I right in thinking that? Peter lent Kel his jacket for the presentation ceremony at that Open because Kel didn't have one? He did. Yes. Yes, he did because I recall photographs taken uh, that evening uh, when we were having drinks to celebrate, not 
Kill. He was no, drinking he was water time, he? Yeah, or right. lemonade. Uh, yes, he did have Peter's jacket yeah. on. Mm. Now I might be messing mixing two stories together, but is there a possibility that Kel left the check in the pocket of the jacket? No, I forgot about. No, that's a different story. Different story. Somebody else did that. Yeah. They didn't. They borrowed a jacket, put the check. Pete, in the, that was Peter. Peter himself. Peter himself. He he borrowed a jacket for the prize giving, and uh, in fact, he was the last person to ever go to the prize giving with a jacket and tie on and, yeah, out of his golf clothes. He was always very respectful about the RNA and then he became a member later on and they made him an honorary member. Uh, But, uh, yes, he never wore a, a golf shirt and a cap. That's a small shift in some ways, but quite a significant shift when you think about it, isn't it? That, that That's one of those little sort of lines in the sand that wouldn't have seemed very important at the time, but the last person hmm. to wear the jacket. But actually, to get back to your question, it was Peter that uh, borrowed right. the jacket and uh, left the cheque in it. <laughs> was it. Was he in the habit of forgetting and leaving money around the place, Mary? <laughs> was, was that the... Uh... Uh... Can't remember that. Seem to recall, did he did he not have to be reminded of the check by the person who got the jacket back? Oh, I seem to recall yeah, that he he'd forgotten re- completely. He, that oh, he'd forgotten. That yes. was in there. He wasn't sort of big into the money. Well, part. what role did money play? Of course, none of us can live without it. We all have to have a relationship with money. Peter clearly did quite well out of the game, not the way people do well out of the game in this day and age. But what was his relationship or attitude to money? It can mess with a golfer's career, can't it? It, well, it's different perhaps these days, I think. There's more emphasis put on it. Uh, but he never, ever worried about money. He, when Once we were married, that was all left to me. Right. And he, um, he was away so much that I had to learn to look after things at home and the family. And uh, so, you know, he just left it all to me. If all our golf talk has you itching for a round, then make sure you check out Golf Now. The Golf Now app and website gives you an easy way to book social golf online at hundreds of courses across Australia, including some of Golf Australia's top 100 tracks. No queues, no call waiting, just the tee times you want at your fingertips 24-7. Download the free app or visit golfnow.com.au today. Go play. This is a curio of my mind, I suspect, but what were the mechanics of that at that time? Now you would simply, money would be electronically deposited into your bank and you could electronically move it around. Certainly not the case when Peter's winning significant checks Mm. internationally. Well, when you say significant, you'd laugh at uh, (laughs) what he, you know, he. I can remember one of the letters that I was going through and he'd won a tournament in Asia and he was very excited because he'd won $300. (laughs) One must admit $300 probably bought more then than it does now, but still it certainly wasn't. It certainly Well, no, certainly in the early days of the Asia Tour, they used to play amazing pay the players in cash, didn't they? Yeah. The players would queue up on the Sunday evening, I guess, in the order that they finished and have their, like a like pay packets being doled out on payday at a factory. Well, I can't remember that, but uh, mostly I think the checks mm. just came home. Were posted by Peter or by the tournament organiser, oh, perhaps, and then you would bank uh, them. Yeah. And, wow. Mm. Quite the administrative task, I would imagine. What about travel arrangements and those things? Did Peter have something to look after that or did you help him with that? Because they would have been much more complex in those days as well. Travelling. Travelling, yes, internationally from Australia. Oh, he had someone uh, help with the travelling. Yeah. yeah, we had a travel aid. 
Did you get to travel much, Mary? Did you want to travel much? I'd like to have travelled more. I'd like to have taken the children to Europe and lived in Europe and uh, for a while and have them learn another language. Uh, my son here now, of course, speaks a number oh, of Japanese languages. And others, that's right. But um, no, he he wanted to come home. He said, "No, I I need a home to come to, and you're it with the children. So um, home you must be." It always felt from the outside, and Mike Clayton's talked often about this, about Peter's attitude to the game being the perfect one. Whilst it was his job and a business, he never viewed it as more than a game, did he? It's easy for golf to get under the skin and into the mind if you're not careful. It seems Peter never really suffered from that. He just said that he never worked a day in his life. He'd always had, you know, pleasure uh, mainly in playing, hadn't thought of it as a job. Yeah. We're talking a lot about Peter, of course. The, the the name of the podcast is The Thing About Golf. What's The Thing About Golf for Mary Thompson? What's your uh, relationship with the game? <laughs> very, very little. <laughs> I played at uh, Metropolitan Golf Club and uh, – Did you ever have a bad lie the time you were there? I can't imagine that you had. <laughs> I had some shocking lies. <laughs> never on the fairway, I'm sure. Oh, dear. No, uh, I never, ever got down to single figures, I'm afraid. So I didn't feel that Peter was a very good uh, teacher. He, <laughs> Did he feel he was a good teacher and no, you were a poor student? No, oh. he, he felt that uh, everyone had to do their own thing and that I had to find out for myself you know, the way to play. So, did you like the game? What was your relationship? Yes, I did. I liked it very much. Yes, I did. And I kept playing up until when he was became ill with Parkinson's disease. Uh, then my job was really to look after him, uh, or not my job but my no, pleasure to look after him. So I stopped playing golf then and uh, haven't played since, really. Did you play much with Peter? I imagine that you did. And what was that like? That's a... Oh, that was great. We really just enjoyed being together and, and uh, you know, having a hit. As a golfer, though, did you watch what he did and wondered why it could look so simple there and be I so extraordinarily did. difficult for me? <laughs> I did, yes. You both have the same number of arms and legs. It's not fair that it looks so simple. I can remember one day at Royal Melbourne, uh, he did say to me, Mary, if you did something, you know, th that would be better. And I said... Well, do you realise it's taken you ten holes to tell me that? <laughs> Where have you been all this yeah, time? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, no, we just enjoyed doing things together, really. Hmm. For professional golfers and golfers of Peter's calibre, there are almost two forms of the game, aren't there? I imagine that his, the golf he played with you was very different to the golf he played, obviously, in tournament. Hmm. Do you have any sense of whether he enjoyed one more than the other or whether it was a different type of enjoyment each to the other? Well, once I knew how competitive he was, <laughs> <laughs> I think he enjoyed the competition more. Yeah. You can't do what Peter did without being competitive, can you? No well, matter what you show outwardly, not. you just no, can't get no. to that level without being. But he never showed that. No. His interests were far beyond just playing and his own playing, weren't they? He had a genuine interest in promoting the game globally, the professional game. He, he warned us about the dangers of the PGA Tour being so dominant mm. very early on when lots of others possibly couldn't see it. Mm. What do you think he would make of golf now and the, the sort of the, the things, where the turmoil we're seeing in the game now? 
Well, I think he'd be a bit sad about that, mm. really. Um, and as I said earlier, he wasn't sort of so much into the money. So I don't think he'd approve of the live uh, thing, particularly uh, from where it's coming from uh, and the um, human, you know, things that go on there. Anything that tarnished the game always felt to me like that's what, mm. that, that was Peter's yeah. kind of yeah. guiding principle. That's right, yeah. The professional game is not the game. The game is much bigger than professional golf yeah. and has much more to offer. Yeah. Um, Sort of, uh, sort of the world. Give us some memories of some of the tournaments Andrew was saying there. That he's right. We don't have enough of the the oral history of what unfolded at various sort of important tournaments and really significant moments in Australian golf history. You must have shared several of those with Peter. What's the first one that comes to mind? Your first sort of. Um, well, my first, uh, the first time I watched him play, I think, was that Canada Cup that uh, I mentioned earlier. And uh, he was playing then with Kill, and of course they won. So that was pretty exciting. Sneed, who that. were the Americans? Sneed and Sneed, and I, I remember who they think were. I'm trying. Yeah. I thought it was Middlecoff. Yeah, Carrie Middlecoff. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. think. And Peter so. and Sam Sneed were quite good friends, weren't they? Over time, if I recall. Peter and Sneed. Sam Sneed. Yeah. Oh yes, yes they right. shared a room occasionally. Yeah. yeah. Talk about opposite, tour. disparate characters. Yeah. Peter and Sam Sneed with the piece of straw in his mouth oh, and the hat on. Were, it. Yeah, but Sam was. A uh, bit rough and ready, but he was always delightfully yes. uh, nice to me. He was uh, very had, polite. And, no. I don't pretend to know Sam, but I always had the feeling that much of that was Sam realised that's a good show. There's money in that. <laughs> Maybe. A, that, that. That he was perhaps bright, a little bit like Boo Weekly, perhaps yeah. brighter behind there than what he was necessarily yeah. letting on. He's giving the crowd what they wanted in so many ways. Because I remember when Sam passed, it was the only time I ever interviewed Peter and I was as nervous as a person could be interviewing. He agreed to chat to me on the phone. He was, uh, and I was surprised how affectionately he spoke about Sam. They, they, a bit like Kel, not to the same level. Yeah, uh, yeah. A genuine affection yeah. for Sam. Yes, he did. They he had did. the same ancestry. <clears throat> Sam's need was what's called Scotch-Irish. Right. Uh, what uh, <clears throat> sometimes derided as the hillbillies. Uh, ancestors came from the borderlands of Scotland to Northern Ireland and then immigrated to the Appalachians. And Dad's uh, Scottish ancestors came from exactly the same right. place. Mm. Did they know that about each other, do you think? I imagine your dad probably knew that about no, Sam. No, I, I, I doubted. Well, they each knew where their ancestors came from, but I think they had an instinctive Like an almost instinctive kinship, Because yeah. they mm. were of the same... understanding of a yeah, culture. the same kind of structure. It's interesting, mm. isn't it? Who were the... Well, I want to come back... Sorry, let's come back to the golf movie. So yeah. the first time you saw Peter play was at the Canada Cup, and I would imagine that would have been a huge deal. 1956, was it? 50... Uh, 19... Uh, was yes, it the it the would Olympics, 56? I thought it... No, well, 56 was the year of the Olympics. Yes, that's right. Uh, 59, maybe? Oh, I we think shouldn't. it was no. This is disgraceful no, no. that the three of us are sitting here and don't know. We should the all be trophies embarrassed. over there. Somewhere. Yes, well, <laughs> we should be able to Canada figure Cup. Oh no, I gave it. Didn't I give it to Royal Melbourne? I think. I think so. Uh, Regardless, yeah. whatever year it was, Any, we can edit all of that out. That yeah. we just look foolish. We'll take yeah. that out. <laughs> it was probably about fifty-seven, yeah. I think. And what were your memories yeah. of that? That first time of going to see? You said you didn't have sort just of just big crowds and. Yeah. Mm, and mm. the golf itself, as a non-golfer, did it make any sense to you that these guys were particularly good at the game, or did you just assume oh, yes. this was just golf? Yeah, they won, yeah. so yes, it was pretty exciting watching it. Yeah, because mm. it was a big deal. I don't know that we'd won it previously, Australia, had we? The I don't Cup, think we had. 
to let. Tragic what's happened mm. to that event too, by yes. the way. What should be one of the yes. game's most important events. Exactly. And it yeah. sort of disappeared. What about beyond that? I, I suppose we always uh, think of Peter, we think of the Open, five Open Championships. And it's an extraordinary, an extraordinary elite company and three of them on the trot. An amazing record over a decade or so of, I think, not being out of the top three. Am I right, Andrew? Over the course of about? Yeah, seven years. Yeah. Seven years of oh, yes. second was, or, yeah. or champion. Remarkable. What do you yeah, remember about those times, Mary? And the- well, the 58 one was the only one I ever saw because by 65 I was home with the children and Don Lawrence actually was great. He was a good friend and he uh, kept ringing me after every hole. So what – because you wouldn't have had television. Your viewing opportunities would have been – No, no. Naught. Absolutely, yes. And was Don Lawrence in the UK? No, Don Lawrence was home here. He was getting some sort of update – and uh, he was getting, you know, the hole-by-hole scores. So he called me and, of course, by the middle of the night, uh, he'd won. So I said, well, come out and we'll have a glass of champagne together. What time was that, Mary? <laughs> oh, Four uh, o'clock in the morning or something? Something like that, yeah. It was, it was a bit. Ridiculous, but anyhow, it's an incredibly romantic way to experience golf. I suppose can't be as good as watching. <laughs> <But> then, no, <laughs> not as good as watching. No. And uh, he did come out, and uh, we had a drink together, which was very nice. But um, uh, no, it was it was hard those days. You wouldn't, you know, it couldn't be there because of the children. But I used to try to go once a year. Uh, they had an event uh, at. Um, uh, Sunningdale, I think it was, and uh, I used to go and stay in the Savoy, and and they put us up very nicely, and they take the fellows by helicopter to the um, course in the morning, and we'd have the the Rolls Royce to <laughs> go around in. I used to go to Marks and Spencers and buy the children's dressing gowns and. Pajamas. <laughs> was that the event where Ian Fleming used to play with him in the pro am? Uh, he did. He had. Uh, he was great friends with Ian mm. Fleming, who and Ian promised, made Peter promise he'd never ever read a James Bond book. <laughs> <laughs> he thought they were pretty trashy himself, but um, you no, know, he was. Uh, he wrote a wonderful story actually in um, one of the in the golf uh, magazine about um, playing with Peter uh, at Sunningdale. So that was a bit of fun. Yeah. Uh, it's very glamorous, Mary, Rolls Royces and helicopters. Yes, in we, at, a, at a time when we see much more of that yeah. in this day and age, I yeah. guess, than we used to back then, you mu- that, that just must be an, well, fabulous memories to look my, back on. Of. Uh, they did a, a little, um, you know, Thing, little article in one of the English papers called From the Sink to the Savoy. <laughs> and that was my life. <laughs> what about uh, Sean Connery and his wife? You yes, used to we, dine with yeah, them. Yeah, we dined with them at their house. So, yes, there were some very sort of exciting moments, really. Sean asked me to go to the set to watch him. Sean and I Connery. Said, yeah. Oh, Mary, there'll be... Making a James be, Bond. There'll be women envious oh, all over no. the world listening to this, a personal invite from Sean Connery, goodness me. Anyhow, man. I couldn't go. I had to go to the golf, so oh, I took no. his wife to the golf instead. Yeah, <laughs> what was that like from, I mean, well, Australia is humble in that sense, in that mm. those circles. Mm. 
You could never have looked forward and seen that in your life. No, no. Or a teenager, no. could you? That's a, no, we did some very exciting things. That's really yeah. hobnobbing. I mean, Sean Connery, they don't get any bigger, I do know. they? Sean Connery. Inviting us to dinner at his house, you had to decide what you would wear and uh, that was the... You know, Do you know, I'm thinking as you're talking there, you talk about Ian Fleming and Sean Connery. Like Peter, incredible characters with longevity. Something special about, mm-hmm. there's a special dignity, is there something about those stars from that era? It's different today, I feel. Well, they were sort of very natural, mm. very natural. Perhaps that's the key, Mary. Mm. Those who try to be stars mm. never get there. Mm. Uh, those who just allow it. I think mm. the kids call it authentic. Well, looking for that's authentic. a very good word. Mm. Very good word. Yeah. 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 The other one was Bing Crosby was very fond of Dad, wasn't he? I think. Oh yes, but that I didn't ever know him. Mm. That was before my time. <laughs> and a fabulous goal for himself, of course. Mm. Being and his son won the the US Amateur. Nat, really, really? Nat Crosby? Uh, no. Oh, gee, now mm. I've said that. Lucky I can edit, Mary, because if I've made a mistake, yes. I can take it out. Whereas, of course, if you make a mistake, I can quite happily <laughs> leave it in. So I have uh, I, <laughs> I have all the power. What do you think made Peter the happiest? When was he at his happiest, do you reckon? Uh, he was at, at his happiest at home with yeah. me and the children, really. Uh, and I, other than that, I think he really enjoyed playing golf. Playing golf. Mm. And playing it obviously well really? at a high level and yeah, that's for where why, it meant something. That's why he said he'd never worked. He'd really enjoyed every moment. He never took to America and his relationship with America, American golfers and American press never felt like a good one from the outside. Is well, that your sense of it? And what do you think that was about? Well, I think um, he didn't enjoy playing in America as much as in Europe. But uh, when we eventually went on the seniors tour and we had a lovely time and he did enjoy that. To the yeah. tune of nine times in a year, if I'm mistaken, <laughs> That's his first right. year out. Yes, so. yes, yes, ten in a row it was. Wow. But one was late the year before. Yeah. And, uh, yes, he he uh, really took to it and I said, he said, now I want you to come with me. And I said, no, I don't want to go to America. I'm perfectly happy at home doing whatever I do. And he said, uh, no, I want you to really come because, you know, I've travelled alone too much. So I said, all right, I'll give it a go. And when we went, uh, I was amazed. There was a party every week at someone's house and uh, it was really it beca- I didn't know any of the other golf wives to begin with, but uh, once I'd got to know them, we had a really nice time, I must say. And being the foreign one on the tour, uh, well, that he can was, go either way, can't it? Mm, it's always worked out for players going. To well, America. it did work out pretty well, and uh, the uh, he we used to sort of he'd always be asked to speak, and he was very good at mm. that. So he was. You know, happy. It was 85, around 1985? Yeah, 83, 83, I think, and then through to 85. You mentioned there you didn't know any of the other wives. Was that its own world, the wives of the top players? You're all living an unusual lifestyle, I guess, in many ways. I sat with, had the great privilege to sit with Cathy Shearer and Jackie Newton a few weeks Mm. ago to talk about Mm. Bob and Jack both lost earlier this Mm. year, of course. In fact, Cathy mentioned to me the other day, I said I was coming to see you, she said you came to Bob's memorial, which she was still quite emotional about that yeah. you'd done that. But that felt to me like a whole sort of second world going on. We're all seeing the golf and the golfers, but there's a whole other thing going on that's about administration and travel and mm. kids and 
making sure households operate like a household. Mm. Well, it was difficult leaving the kids uh, who were sort of teenage and uh, or Andrew, you'd been you'd turned twenty by then, I think, hadn't you? Yes. Uh, anyhow, uh, it was difficult, and I used to mostly come home halfway through and just, you know, check and see if they were all right. They were sort of had, they were working, the kids and or at uni and... Uh, Not it, having parties and trashing the house? Uh, no. Turning up no. on current affair like that young <laughs> Corey, was it, that we saw some years ago? <laughs> all those no, no, they were pretty good, really. Did um, you have friends amongst that circle? Was there a sort of a friendship ring amongst the wives or the partners or...? Um, I didn't have oh, one one person that I was really friendly with for a while was Sandy Funseth, mm-hmm. uh, but Rod uh, died of mesothelioma yeah. very suddenly, and um, so she didn't come back on the tour again. Uh, but um, no, I had a pretty good time altogether. Mm. Is it one of those lifestyles where you're kind of either on the tour or off the tour that? That that's kind of the club, and if it's once you're off the tour, it's a different world again. I would imagine. Well, we ways. were very lucky in that in the beginning we had lots of spare time, and we did buy a car in America, and so we went to a lot of uh, places that we wouldn't have gone just for the yeah. golf. Um, Which is the the real bane of most professional golfers is that they see a lot of hotel rooms, yeah. freeways, airports, yeah. and yeah. golf courses. And they see them all over the world and they see nothing of the world while they're about it. Yeah. Unless they make it. Well, Pan, uh, my eldest daughter, she came, uh, she came over for three weeks and in, and was the year that Peter won so many tournaments and she ended up staying nine months. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah. This party's nice. I'll stay, I'll stay here. We had a wonderful time together and. She danced with uh, Clint Eastwood, didn't she? Oh, goodness me. Oh, yes, she did. She had a photo taken with Clint and she was very. Very Carmel, he was mayor of Carmel. Mayor of Carmel. Yeah. Owner of Pebble Beach, of course, mm. uh, along with a consortium of others. Yeah. Well, I assume they still own it. They bought oh, it several right. years ago. There was he, yeah. Arnold Palmer, if I'm not mistaken, oh, right. and a couple of others. The consortium. Oh, right. They bought, uh, right. They bought Pebble mm. Beach, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, you know more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of, yeah, I've been doing this from the other side. Yeah. I can't play the game, so I've spent a lot of time reading about uh, it. Do you not play I haven't played for quite a while. I have mm. business and there's... You know, mm. Interesting, Rob, when you ask Mum about relations with the wives, uh, that was the key in 1998 at the President's Cup in Melbourne. The wives of the international team, led by mm. uh, you know, uh, my mother... M. M. Thompson, uh, yes. <laughs> the story behind that victory, she, she may care to talk oh, about we that. Had a, we had a great time, actually, uh, at... That particular year, Royal Melbourne was being renovated, and so we were in uh, Marquis. Was the clubhouse at Royal Melbourne used to be awful, didn't it? Well, so the clubhouse at Royal Melbourne used to be awful, didn't it? it yes, was a well, terrible building. Mm, anyhow, sorry, yes, I, we weren't in there. No. We were in the Marquis, and there was a Marquis ne- right next to us was the American team, and uh, we had a great time. We all got on very well together and everyone, as they played their matches, they'd come back in and I'd give them a hug and a kiss whether they'd won or lost. And, uh, you know, the wives, we, we, we just had a lot of fun, laughter, and, and the Americans couldn't understand why we were having such a good time. 
And it was purely and simply because I decided we had to have fun as well and that that would would help the boys. Uh, So uh, it was. It was terrific, really, and we did well. I can almost hear Peter in you saying that. The simplicity of that as a concept (laughs) and then – you watch what happens. Yeah. They are related. If yeah. you tried to do that, it would yeah. be a different thing. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a very sort of an interesting thing. I still have upstairs and amongst many bits and pieces, I still have the envelope that he uh, sealed. He put inside the person he would choose if it came to a draw they had to have a match and one, out each. one right. of each yeah. team. And I still have that upstairs. Do you I, know who's in there? I don't know. Wow. I don't know. So I haven't ever and opened It's just upstairs from his feet, literally <laughs> feet away. Is that what you're saying to me, Mary? We're not opening it? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. One of these days I might open it. Or that... You don't know whether you want to or you don't, do mm. you? Now it's now at a point where it's kind of... It'd be fun to tell the person... <laughs> Well, yes, I, mm. I can't help but wonder who it might have been. I'm mm. thinking back to that team because you had Norman, Elkington, uh, Parry, Nobolo, Turner, Appleby. Mm. Yeah. Mariama. Mariama, who was just a revelation, mm-hmm. wasn't he? He and Parry mm. knocking off couples and mm. – who was the other one? It was a couples and Tiger they beat? Yeah. yeah. I think you could have stood Mariama on Parry's shoulders. They wouldn't have been <laughs> as tall as Fred Couples. <laughs> and they took the two of them out. That was an amazing week. You mentioned yeah. the job, obviously you were enjoying it, but mm. that felt like a quite a special week. That that could have been a turning point in the President's Cup. It hasn't turned out to be that mm. as we've gone on. Mm. But had a very spe- I was here for that week. had a very special well, feel yeah. about it, didn't oh, it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah. yeah. Could have been the Yes, and we all got on, as I say, really, really well. Yeah. If all our golf talk has you itching for a round, check out the Golf Now app. Easily book social golf online at hundreds of courses across Australia, including some of Golf Australia's top 100 tracks. Download the free app or visit golfnow.com.au today. For our American listeners, and we do we do have some. Peter wasn't anti-America, was he? I, I no, feel like we, no, I might have made that, might have felt like that. What I said before, he wasn't a great fan of the golf courses that the tour in America played. I felt was the, the well. In the early days, they were pretty ordinary courses. They were public courses rather than clubs, and uh, he always said that the condition of them wasn't good. And so uh, no, he he preferred. Europe. And the, the style of golf and links in particular mm. coming but, from the But, you know, as I say, he, we really enjoyed America yeah. very much and we have some lovely American friends now still. He, he had an interesting – I'll come back to who that might be. He had an interesting relationship with the Masters, didn't he, Peter? Because, of course, the Masters in the 50s and 60s, whilst it was a big deal, it wasn't mm. quite the big deal it is now. It's mm. In many ways it's been perhaps one of – the 20th century's great marketing success story for yes, Masters, it hasn't it? Has, yeah. has no actual pedigree to pin its position in the game mm. on, doesn't mm. apart from a link with Bob Jones. And mm. I think Peter was one of the few who kind of... He knew Bobby, yeah. And spoke to that yeah. quite openly, which was yeah. unusual. Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah. When you say he knew Bobby, did he ever talk about that or how well he knew him? Or Oh, no, he didn't. But I've uh, got photos of yeah. Peter with him. Yeah. They mm. sat him next to... Bobby Jones, I think the first time he was invited there at a dinner, and uh, Jones told him uh, the original idea for the event was Mm. 30 American professionals, uh, 30 of the world's best amateurs, Mm. and 30 foreigners. You can already feel Peter being 
drawn into that, can't you? Mm. This is exactly what golf should be. Yeah. Oh, well, that's so true. He approved, mm. Well, yes. Dad thought that was a good yes. idea, and uh, he was a bit disappointed later that uh, the committee of the club, if you call it a club, uh, had sort of departed a bit from Jones's oh, early notion of what it should be. Mm. But beyond that, he, he, I don't think he really said much about the event at all at home. Mm. Famously, I must have told this story, and I'm, I'm now hoping that it really is true. I, my understanding was he missed the Masters to play in the Indian Open one year. He had the invite, oh, but could, could played in India be, instead. That would yeah. not surprise you if that had been? No, not at all. Because that invitation now, of course, is considered it's like a Christmas card. The players that get mm. that invite, they take photos of it and they mm. put it on Instagram and mm. Twitter. It's a huge deal. Mm. Peter's one of the few you could imagine receiving it, but writing back nicely in his own round. Mm. Appreciate the offer, but mm. I'll be otherwise occupied. He was invited, yes, for many years, actually, to the Masters, even after he'd stopped playing. It's an open invitation for major mm. winners, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. You can, if you've won a major, you're welcome mm. at the Masters every year, I think, mm. to play in the Par 3 tournament, should you want to, and just to yeah. hang around under the big tree. Did you ever go to Augusta? I didn't. You've never no. been? No, no. No, that's one of the things I'd like to have yeah. been to, but I didn't have the opportunity. Yeah. Mm. When you look back now, Mary, what, what are the sort of the memories that come to you? For us, obviously, it's, I mean, it's golf. It's all golf for Peter. You obviously had a very different relationship. You've talked about being at home and the family and whatever. How do you sort of look back and feel about and reflect about Peter's place in Australia and in Australian golf and in world golf? Do you ever give that sort of any thought? An incredibly important figure in so many ways to so many of us, I think. Well, I don't really uh, give it a lot of thought, I have to say, uh, because, you know, I don't think he did either. Uh, but um, I feel he's probably amongst the male golfers. Of course, he's the, you know, epitome of having won uh, five times and uh, the Open and um, I don't know, just... Uh, and he gave a lot of time to the PGA. He was uh, president for 33 years. So uh, he did put things back into golf, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, yes, I don't think anybody could question the contribution he made beyond his own mm. playing in mm. so many ways, including mentoring, and, mm. as you say, at the PGA. Yeah. And, and he always seemed to have international golf it was the most important that the golf should not be concentrated in one place in mm. particular at this stage mm. as it has, has been mm. in America. Mm. Um, so sort of really sort of interesting in that way. Uh, Andrew, can you wheedle some stories out of your mum that you'll know much better than I are lurking in there? I feel like you've got a couple of things that you'd like to hear Mary retell that you might have heard before but that our listeners would enjoy. Well, as a child, um, I was aware of some of the controversies that swept through golf uh, in the 60s and sort of the 70s and no, mum was a witness to that because dad was uh, involved in sort of combat and that was really appearance money and the change of the size of the ball. I mean, both those uh, controversies went on for a while. Dad was on you know, one side of the argument, uh, <clears throat> didn't always prevail, but uh, I think, you know, th they, were, they were difficult times for the game and as leader of the PGA, of course, uh, he had a role to play. Uh, battles with Kerry Packer and so forth. I mean, you were there for a lot of that, weren't you, Mum? Yes, I was. I was there 
through that. Uh, but if you're looking for a funny story... Okay, let's do a funny story. <laughs> then we'll come back to the controversy and the good stuff. Let's uh, have a funny story. You, you like the controversy better oh, than the funny. I can't help it. I'm a journalist by trade, Mary. I'm a former daily newspaper hack. It's unfortunately well, drummed into you as a youngster. I'll tell the story of uh, being at Lytham St Anne's. Uh, this was after he'd played finished playing and we were there watching and I went to the little stall that they had where they had a young Englishman uh, standing and he was, uh, they had the trophy uh, or the replica trophy and a small trophy and I said, uh, could you tell me uh, please how much you charge for these small trophies? And he said, he drew himself up to his full height and in a very English voice said, Oh, madam, we do not sell to the public. We only sell to the families of those who had won the open, who have won the open championship. And I said, Oh, right, really? Well, um, I think my family, uh, come into that category. Oh, really? He said. I wasn't dressed. I was just dressed in my golf gear. Uh, and he, so he said that. And I said, well, my husband did win the Open. And he said, oh, madam, when would that be? And I said, uh, 1954, 55, 56, 58 and 65. Good morning. <laughs> And walked off. <laughs> <laughs> of course, well, the, the the player gets a replica of the claret, don't they? It's a smaller version when they uh, win. Well, the one or, or can... they they have the RNA have very kindly given me, uh, you know, a version of the claret of size. the claret jug. Uh, it's like nine tenths. You're right. Yeah, the... just a tiny bit different, but. Uh, you can't tell, really, looking at it. Are there five of them in this house, Mary? Are there five replica claret jugs in this house? We we have the replica. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But there are not there are not five. Not five of them. No. no right. Oh no no no. no. We don't. So have, no, we don't Kel have any one. miniatures. We don't have any. Right? No. I know Kel had one. On Kel a did have one, recall, and actually, it was stolen. Oh really? From his house. Yeah. Sort of a yeah. disgraceful human being. Would yeah, that's terrible, isn't do it? Do something like that. Mm. I'm reminded, Andrew, as Mary's talking there, of a rather funny story that you also had. Did you not go to school one day to show and tell? Oh, and he did. <laughs> I, did yes. I know you've told this before, but I'd love to hear it again because I think you tell the story fabulously. Well, I think Mum had better tell it. Uh, well, he went. Third uh, party. He was allowed to take the claret jug to school in a Qantas bag. <laughs> in a Qantas bag. In a Qantas bag. So off he went with the Qantas bag, terribly pleased with himself. A uh, very small boy, and uh, well, it was sixty-five, yeah, so no, you, he 65. was almost in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he came home crying miserably, and uh, we said, "What happened to you?" All oh, the boys laughed at me, and one boy said, "My dad's got ten of those." <laughs> <laughs> so he learned very early not to boast. <laughs> not, not to not boast. To boast. Too much. I can recall, I try not to do this too often, inject myself into these things, but I can recall, Andrew, at the Asia Pacific Amateur at Royal Melbourne in 2014, mm -hmm. in the foyer of the clubhouse, they had the Masters Trophy, the Claret Jug, and the Asia Pacific Amateur Trophy. And I'm almost sure it's you. I didn't know you at all at the time, but I remember seeing Peter with a small boy who I assume would have been. 
perhaps your son? No, it was one of his grandchildren, grandchildren. one of my sister's boys. Yeah, looking yeah. at the cabin. It was a beautiful – I think you – I'm sure – were you there? I'm sure I you – I might have been there. I feel like you were there. It was yeah. just a wonderfully yeah. touching moment of – because I, of course, always saw Peter as – Mr. Five Times, a five-time mm. Open Gym, the mm. doyen of Australian golf. Mm. You would, you know, you would bow down to Peter if he mm. was in the same. Just this wonderful moment with his grandson looking at the cabinet, and I think he was just telling him, oh, yes, I won this one a couple of times or mm. something so simple. Mm. It, was, it was quintessentially Peter, I think, as I've sort of come to, as I've learned more about him later. It was mm. quintessentially yeah. um, sort of Peter. Well, he'd, he'd say he lost 25 times. Yeah. That, that's exactly what he always said. <laughs> He did indeed, didn't he? We laugh at that, but that some ways is probably key to how he won five, is it not? That notion that, you know, played in 25, played in 30, lost 25 of them. That that attitude is in some ways probably oh, the key to winning the yeah. five, the, yeah. the ability to be able Whether to. Whether he dreamt that up and win, I'm not quite yeah, sure, but anyhow. Mary, one of the few things I could find that had been written about you publicly was from a Sports Illustrated story, I'm going to say in the 1960s. I think an American writer or writer had come to the house here to speak to Peter. I'm not sure it was this house, but... What, not this house. He noted, he wrote just a little bit about you, and a lovely description, I thought, of you, but he noted that uh, he, you told him that he'd asked where all the trophies were. You told him that you used to have the plaques taken off and use them as vases. Is that true? Yes, they're still... Some of them are still there. <laughs> We'd put uh, roses in them. I'd, I'd always throw... I'd throw away the lids, if you please. Uh, throw away the lids, take the base off it, yeah. and uh, then, you know, stand them against a wall with the uh, writing to the wall and full of roses. Make, make quite nice vases without yeah, upsetting anybody. What sorts of tournaments are we talking I'm assuming the claret jug's never oh, been no, used no. as a vase. No, no, <laughs> no, not the claret jug. No, I think the Italian Open and, oh. you know, the German Open, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think of, and I think most of us have probably seen these various pictures at times, you know, not to see that players like Tiger and Jack and great players have their own dedicated trophy room in the house where these I things know. are behind glass I and are, are almost an altar to, yeah. <laughs> to worship at it. Here you are. No, we never, ever had um, a, an area for the trophies. We didn't go into that. Mike in Clayton point. once told me that, you know, he would visit sometimes with Peter. He said you could walk into Peter's house and you would never know he played golf. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. That's well, you look around now. No, I mean, there's... Photographs of the family. There's yeah. not a trophy in sight. I think. I'm not seeing any claret jugs, and I'll be honest with you. If I had, if someone close to me had had five, one five claret jugs, you'd be seeing claret jugs and pictures of claret jugs everywhere <laughs> in my house. So it's telling. Clearly, Peter was comfortable with that. He was. Oh, he was comfortable. Was the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you find it remarkable that other people like me find that remarkable? No, I don't, because uh, I know a lot of people do have trophy. Areas, but um, no, that's just the way we were. Yeah. Mm. The other thing we never really had come to think of it was anywhere at home in the garden for Dad to practice. I think there was a golf net around once or twice, but Dad really never used it. There was no, no. putting green in the that backyard. Feels he wasn't very. Net. He wasn't very <laughs> into practicing, if mm. you recall. Yeah. He wasn't one of these people who went straight to the practice tee and stayed there for an hour. No, no, He no. did a bit of a warm-up and that was it. Well, there's some amazing stories of Peter and obviously in the way he mm. The one that comes to mind, I think he told it himself, it might have been Peter Alice had followed him in a practice round for the Open, one of the Opens he won. 
And he shanked a number of shots. And Alice said to him after the prayer, are you off to the practice phase? He said, no, no, I'm just I'm going to go back to my room and think about it. Mm, that would be right. <laughs> that would be. That can, would you be. Ima- can you imagine the day before the Open getting a dose of the shanks and you, your solution is to go and think about it? He'd think and it through. Yeah. Clearly worked. Mm. What, do you, what did you see about Peter's golf, do you think? Do you, do you get a different perspective being close to him? You said he didn't practice much. You know, most people would assume that he was practicing in secret, that he was saying he didn't practice much, as many have before, whilst in fact they were in reality sneaking down the road. Oh, no, no, no. Practicing he, wasn't, he wasn't doing no. that. What do you reckon the keys to his success were as a player, Mary? Well, you would have him, seen some great players. I think it was just well. perfectly natural. Mm-hmm. He just had a very natural swing and he thought everybody else should be the same. Uh, but he he didn't feel he was anything extraordinary. Mm. I wonder I, – I, I, I've always felt this is most likely true. I remember Mike Clayton telling me once that he'd spoken to Peter about the first time Peter saw his swing on video, he was horrified. His own. Yes, his own swing. Oh. Horrified by his, he thought it looked completely different to what it actually did, which would have been a revelation for a lot of golfers, I'd imagine, mm. over time, not having seen their swing at that various time. And I, I sort of found that interesting. I'm conscious of the time, Mary, because I know we have to go. Is there something I haven't asked you about that you'd like to tell us about? And I'd be particularly keen to hear something. You can't help but be drawn in. Peter was such a big figure. Obviously, we're going to talk mostly about Peter, but I'm intrigued by you as and your life and, and what that's been like to – to be Mary Thompson, because in some ways you kind of lose a little bit of your identity, don't you? When you, uh, I guess you do. Mm. Uh, it never occurred to me much uh, about my identity. I was very happy to be. Uh, I adored Peter, mm. and uh, I was very happy to be his wife and and mother of his children, and uh, it didn't. Uh, I didn't feel. Uh, Badly that I was sort of always in the background. I was perfectly happy there to be uh, a support to him. Yeah. Uh, so I think I've had a very fortunate life. Yeah. Very fortunate. Maybe an unusual take on life in this day and age, Mary, and it's refreshing well, and fabulous to hear. Well, you know, I'm 89 years old now and uh, I've had a wonderful life, really. Um, so... Very happy. And lots more to come, I suspect. You look very fit and healthy and you're sharp <laughs> as a tack. There's no question about that. So there's no. Well, that's the thing you have to worry about, isn't it, at this age? No, well, I don't feel as though I've lost anything. Uh, in fact, you know, I've gained some wonderful friends and I'm very happy. You can't know what happens in stages of life until you live them, can you? You can you forward can. and think and whatever. How's this stage of life been? Because. You know, spoiler alert, we're all going there. We're going, to, we're, we're going to be the person that's lost for somebody and we all are going to lose somebody as well. I spoke to Cathy about this. Mm. It's no great shock that we lose people. We know that that's going to happen. But that, that adjustment's not necessarily easy. How have you found life since Peter passed? Challenging, uh, particularly in the beginning. Uh, but, um, you know, I've just sort of gone along and, got used to it and now I'm sort of really very happy. I've got a lot of very good friends and uh, I go out a lot and, you know, I enjoy sport and I love watching sport. So, you know, I can do that on the television a lot. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll go to lunch. We're going to go golf tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, at we'll long last, to- the Australian Open is back in 
the state of Victoria. It is. Uh, having yes. been uh, stolen. Hijacked by, by, by my mob up north of the border there, yes. But, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a normal thing when the Australian Open or you know, other tournaments uh, are held in Melbourne since I was a small boy, you know. If Dad was playing, which he usually was, well, you know, on the weekend we'd go and watch, wouldn't mm. we? Of course, yeah. And mm. 1967 at Commonwealth, um, that famous photograph of me climbing up on the <clears throat> stand and grabbing the trophy from Dad. Uh, Mum was right there in front. Uh, no doubt uh, telling you to get, to get down, Andrew. What are you doing? Probably, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, life uh, as a family then uh, – there was Dad inside the ropes playing. Uh, we were sort of in the gallery somewhere watching, later in the clubhouse uh, trying to sneak a lemonade or something, and if we were lucky enough, Dad would win. And so Sunday night we'd be home having chops and mashed potato and some peas, <laughs> and uh, there was Dad with a trophy. So that, that's really how it was, wasn't it, for a yeah, long time? absolutely. But we outside yeah. imagine it must be so much different. Parties and nightclubs yeah, and the whole. Not at no, all. No, come home and not have chops and mashed potatoes like you would <laughs> on a Sunday night. Fantastic. Well, to me, I agree with you, Andrew. I think, to me, the Australian Open being in Melbourne is the proper Australian Open. Mm. Well, it's, it's a in commonwealth so, of Australia. In so many ways, the, the tournament having been in Sydney for so long has not been for the betterment of the tournament, I don't think, or golf in the country. Mm. I think oh, Peter no, would I think have it should that. be shared around. Should be shared. Yeah. We know there's Absolutely. different things about should that. Absolutely. Perth should go. That's right. Yeah, Brisbane should go to all places. Yeah, we understand the corporate thing and the, mm. the biggest markets oh, are Melbourne yeah. and Sydney, but that doesn't mean that they can't subsidise mm. the tournament mm. to go to other parts of Australia. Exactly. Because golf fans in other parts of Australia yeah. deserve to see yes, Australia. absolutely. Well. So let's hope that this year is the start of perhaps. Mm. The pandemic has been a great opportunity to reset and you'd hope that there's been some resetting amongst administrators about the way we yeah. approach the game. Well, it's Peter lovely that it's at Victoria because yes. that was where Peter yeah. played and his statue, statue is there. there. They had a shot of his statue or his head on television yesterday, briefly. You would hope, Mary, but I wonder if it's the case, you would hope that every golfer playing in that tournament knows who Peter is, walks past that statue and stops and has a moment to reflect about the contribution that he's made to the game because without him, they may not be there. Mary Thompson, you've been more than generous with your time. It's been fantastic to catch up. As I said, it's to my eternal shame that I've never made the effort oh, to come and meet you previously. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad that Andrew helped facilitate it today, and we thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to have talked to you. Oh, I'm glad. And thank you, Andrew. It's been fabulous no, to have you on. No, fabulous no. for you to facilitate the whole thing. We really appreciate that. Well, the, the, the podcast uh, that you produce uh, is the best uh, of the golf podcasts uh, available, and that's one of the wonderful things that Digital Age has really delivered to uh, we golfers. The fact that we can get in our car and drive somewhere and uh, not listen to the news, but we can listen to golf delivered when and where we want it. So uh, uh, the more the better. Well, as happened when I spoke to your dad, Andrew, you've humbled and embarrassed me by <laughs> saying that, and I thank you for it. Thanks very much. What a delightful and impressive woman Mary Thompson is, and it was genuinely a privilege to have the opportunity to sit down with her. I hope that you enjoyed that chat as much as I did, and it has certainly added something to the legacy of Peter as well. Well, that's it for episode 81 of the pod, but I hope you've hit the follow button, because on our next, John Huggin catches up with one of the game's most recognisable voices. I remember the day it happened. I was 15, and it happened at a place called Long Nedry. Right. And I had two shots on the first green fairly close, and I thought, well, knock this thing, get off to a birdie start. And something happened. There was a, 
a mishap between the brain and the hands. And I went through a very difficult two months. I didn't want to play golf because I couldn't get the ball in the hole from a foot. That's former European Tour player turned TV commentator Ewan Murray next time on The Thing About Golf. 